0: Well, uh, some of you haven't gotten sitting down yet, so if you haven't, you're already ahead. If you just came down from the choir, where you feel like jack-in-the-box. Let's stand, uh, and I want you to, I'm going to invite you to read with me, and uh, Craig has got on the screen so we can be reading from the same translation if you want to do that, the first 12 verses of this, uh, of Matthew chapter 5. So join me. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. And shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now, Father, may Your Holy Spirit take the Word of God and apply it to our hearts, to our minds, to us, Lord, that You would accomplish in us that which You choose today. In Your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Last week we, uh, we began taking a look at this, at this uh, section of scripture, Matthew 5 and Matthew 6 and Matthew chapter 7, are, are the longest um, recorded message that scripture gives us that Jesus spoke. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, in, in, the, as in the beginning of that, with the portion that we're looking at right now, with this first part of Matthew 5, are, is known as the Beatitudes, so last week, we, we started into Matthew 5, and we looked at this. We looked at verse 3, where he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about this word blessed, how it means blessed, very blessed, happy. Oh, how happy. And it's, it's not only just that, but it's the reasons behind that we have to be happy. It's, it's, a, it's a proclamation of God's divine input Into the lives. And we took a look at that and and what that means, and that how Jesus would choose to, as a foundation, really to lay the foundation of the entire, this entire sermon that he's speaking or preaching. And he lays that solidly in this first verse Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we talked about what that means, the difference between being poor in spirit and just being poor. Uh, and we found out there's a tremendous difference there. That poor in spirit has to do with an attitude, with a realization that, that we are in desperate need of, of, of not, a, not a new system of things, but, a, but of a savior. And that we don't need a new resume. We looked at the rich young ruler. We don't need a new resume, but we need a redeemer. And how that poor in spirit means that we understand this. And we, we've come to that conclusion of that. And the blessings with that. This morning, I want to I come to verse 4. And I want to talk about blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And one of the, one of the first things that just spoke to me as I looked at this is, is a section of Scripture from Isaiah chapter 61. And Isaiah 61 is kindly uh, the mission statement. Of the Messiah, when he was when he was when he would come, this would be what he would do. And uh, as we look at Isaiah chapter sixty-one, it's this very scroll. It's a scroll of Isaiah that Jesus would be handed. I'm getting ready to sneeze, so just be ready here. Oh no, I can talk tight like this. <laughs> ah, okay, just be ready. Um. On a on a Sabbath day in a synagogue, right after after Jesus' baptism, after he'd been baptized, after he was he went into the wilderness where he fasted for forty days and nights, and then after that fast, he was tempted of the, of Satan. We looked at that in the first part of of the book of Matthew. Then in Luke, it says as he began his public ministry, as he after the after the baptism, after the. The wilderness experience. Jesus comes to the synagogue. They hand him the scroll of Isaiah, and he turns to this section of that scroll and reads. It always it, it does something to me when I think when I, every time I read this and when I think about Jesus reading these these same words, he read these same words. Now, whether he read them in in, in Aramaic or whether he read them in. Hebrew, I don't know. But he, these are the words, this is a section he read from that morning. It's recorded in the book of Luke chapter 4, I think it is. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. Boy, that may come in good next week. It says, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Look at this now. To comfort all that mourn. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. To give unto them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Look, I want you to notice the exchange. Look at what we're giving. Look at what God is taking off of us and what he is giving to us through the ministry of of, of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. He's uh, He's given us beauty for ashes. He's given us oil of joy for mourning and a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they might be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he the Lord might be glorified. And after Jesus read these scriptures that morning, that Sabbath day, then he, then he said to them, Listen, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Basically, we said, That's my mission statement. Now let's get on with that. And I look at this that Jesus came, part of his, his coming is to comfort those who mourn. And then it would be a little while later when Jesus gathered here on the, on, a, on a mountainside or on a hillside near the Sea of Galilee, would say, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And, and the question, for, obviously, Baker said, well, what is, what is he talking about, those that mourn? And I think the obvious, obvious first thing that comes to my mind, the word that's used here, mourn, is a uh, it's it's a very it's one of the words that's translated mourn. There's several words that's translated mourn. It's it's a very intense word, and it's used most often in Scripture to describe the the grieving or the sorrowing when someone has died that's very close to someone. All right? when, as you would say, when you've lost when you when a, a family member or a close friend has died, there is a grieving, there is a sorrowing, there is a mourning. And one of the obvious, uh, one of the first things that's obvious to me is, well, that's got to be part of what he's talking about. In the book of John, you remember in the book of John chapter 11, you've got the story of, of Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus. These two sisters and their brother Lazarus get sick. And as a result of that sickness, Lazarus dies. Now, they had sent for Jesus to come. Remember the story, Jesus delayed his coming. And uh, not so Lazarus would die, but so that God would be glorified so that they would, I think, so he could, they could understand part of this comforting. So when Jesus, as Jesus and his disciples come later, uh, Lazarus is dead. He's in the grave. There are the friends of Mary and Martha that are there grieving with them, sorrowing them, with them, mourning with them. Martha comes to Jesus. Later, Mary comes to Jesus. And, and uh, then Jesus utters these. They said, if you'd been here. If you'd been here, you could have surely kept our brother alive. You could have kept him from dying. And Jesus gives us this promise. He gave them this promise. And, and it's, boy, how we, have, how we as believers, how he has uh, just amplified that over the years in their lives. In uh, John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus said to him, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Can you believe this? And as he asked them that day, that, that he confronted them where their faith met their emotions. Their emotions were grieving and sorrowing. They had lost their brother. You're just getting a run in this morning. I don't know if anybody's drunk out of this or not. As he, as he confronted, as he, as he met... Their emotions were raw. Their emotions were strained. They were grieving. And he, as his faith, he said, but listen to me. He said, if you can believe it, I am the resurrection and life. The person who puts her faith and trust in me is never going to die. What, a brother's laying in the grave Dad. What do you mean never going to die? And Jesus and the rest, as that story plays out, I think we understand more and more of what he's talking about, the comfort he's talking about here. Remember right after he spoke these words to Mary and Martha, He looks around and in verse 35 of John 11, shortest verse in scripture, yet one of the most profound, one of the most powerful, says Jesus wept. And the friends, the Jews and the friends of Mary and Martha, when they see Jesus weeping, they they comment is, look how much he must have loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And indeed, scripture tells us to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. So it was not only was he, I, I believe, not only weeping because they were grieving, but I believe he was also weeping in a lot more detailed manner because of, of all the things that were, that, that were happening to all around. He was seeing the hopelessness of death without Christ. And then we know the rest of the story, how he goes and he speaks and Lazarus comes back to life. But there is this comfort, and it's a comfort that as a pastor over 30-something years of, 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 of ministering, oftentimes at, uh, at funerals, at the death of a family member or a friend, and many times I've preached from this passage of John of the comfort we have that for the believer, for the Christian who dies... That it's not the end at all, it's not the finality at all. It is it is simply a transition into eternity. That is just walking through the valley, the psalmist would say, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, because death is gone. Jesus conquered, it is victorious. And so for the family of loved ones who've died as a believer, trusting the Lord, we have this promise. We have this comfort. That death is not the end, that we're not only gonna see them again in heaven with the Lord, but we're gonna be with them. We're around the throne, not only with them, but with our Savior, Jesus Christ, forever. And there is tremendous comfort in that. And the Lord says, when we grieve, when we mourn, there's comfort. He goes on, I think Paul is kind of talking about the same thing in the book of 1 Thessalonians. The Thessalonian Christians uh, remember, this is this, this first. This is first century. Okay, this is first after Jesus' crucifixion, his his uh, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and he and, and he goes back and as he ascends back into heaven, the angels come and said, "Hey, he's coming back, guys! Don't don't just stand here with your mouths open. He's coming back again." And so they look for his return. Early Christians and Christians, since that day on the Mount of, of, of Ascension, have been looking for his return. It's a promise. He hasn't returned yet, but he will come back. And so the Thessalonians were looking there, and the Thessalonians were worried because some of their parents and some of their, their older members of the church, their grandparents, had taught them that the Lord was coming back. And they looked for his return, and, and he, he didn't come back, and they died. Their, their parents died. Their grandparents died. And so there was, there was some... There, there was, uh, they, they didn't know. There was some confusion. There was, there was some uncertainty. We thought he was going to come back. What's, what's going on? And so the writer wrote this in First Thessalonians chapter 4. He said, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those which are asleep. Now, ignorant here, it means unlearned. It means not knowing. Big difference. Now, just a sidebar here. I, I, I like John Wayne. My, my wife... John Wayne is her hero. He's one of our heroes. If I could say Pilgrim, I'd do it like he does. But in one of his movies one time, John Wayne made this comment. He said, life is hard. But he said, it's really hard when you're stupid. <laughs> now, I, I like that. The writer of Thessalonians is saying that, 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 that it's not being stupid. He said, I don't want you to be the, in the dark about what happens when, when someone dies. He, hears, he uses the word sleep. Um, he says that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Now you need to look, be sure you get this verse. Be sure you get this verse. We'll come back to it in a minute, okay? He says, for if we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, even so them also which sleep or which die in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. That's pretty good authority, okay? By the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, or a better translation there is, is precede go before those which are asleep. This He's talking about the rapture of the church. It's a, it's a portion of scripture that talks about when the Lord comes in the air and catches the body of believers up and they that with him will come Christians who have died, who have been with him. will And the Christians that are alive on earth at the time will meet them in the air to be, be with them. Now I, I believe he's talking about that. We'll meet with him. Then that'll be after that. We'll usher in a period of the great tribulation. Other people believe differently, but this is what he's referring to. Now notice, he says, "For if the Lord, for the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air." And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, look at this last verse. Wherefore, what's this word? Comfort one another with these words. Now, these, these words and the words that Jesus spoke have been a, and continue to be a tremendous comfort, a tremendous promise that we not hope for, but that we know is sure in the word of God for those who have died in the Lord. But there's one thing I need to point out. I'm going to point it out this morning. Don't always do it. But always when I use this promise in a funeral. I want to say to them. It is only great comfort. If they are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if that loved one has died without accepting the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace and his forgiveness. Then there is an eternity separated from a God that loves them. From a God that loves them. And you need to know this, that God loves us so much. I think of uh, of uh, Edwin Messerschmidt, our good friend that's gone home to be with the Lord, missionary that... A lot of you knew. And Edwin was raised up as a farm boy in Minnesota. Edwin was a teenager. And the first time Edwin ever heard the gospel, as a teenager, had never heard the gospel in Minnesota. And he said the first time he ever heard it, the the speaker was speaking on John 3.16. That God loved the world so much that he gave his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for the sins of the world... He loved us that much. And Edwin said, I had never heard this. And he said that what gripped him was here was a person that that he never knew. But that loved him so much that he would die for Edwin's sin. And Edwin said, if he would die in my place so that I could live eternally with him, I thought this is a man that I want to get to know. This is a man that loves me. And if he loves me this much that he would give his life for me, surely I can give him the rest of my life serving him. And that was the motivation behind Edwin coming to faith. Now, I'll just, I'll just tell you, for, for me, it was quite different. Uh, I grew up in church, and at nine years old, nine years old, heard a message, heard a message, we were in revival services, heard a message on Friday night, and for me, the message was one of judgment for, for those who do not know the Lord, who die without the Lord Jesus Christ. That to die without the Lord means that we're going to be eternity in hell separated from God and all the goodness of God at nine years old. Now, at nine years old, I, I, had, uh, I hadn't went ahead of a drug cartel. At nine years old, I didn't have a, I didn't have a harem or run a, a prostitution ring. At nine years old, I didn't have a a bunch of notches on my toy gun where I'd murdered a bunch of people. But at nine years old, I understood that that sin was not doing what God told you to do and that if we didn't accept the gift of God, that we were going to spend an eternity separated from him. So that night, I was so, the word the old people used to use, under conviction. That night, I went home from that service, and I was scared to death. I was a nine-year-old boy. And I was, I was afraid that I was going to die that night without being saved. And I knew at nine, I knew that if I died without being saved, I'd go to hell. And so my prayer that night was, Jesus, if you will let me live till tomorrow night, I'll get saved. And, and God honored that prayer. The next night, I went back to service. Have no idea what the message was on that night. All I knew was I had made God a promise. He had spared me, and I knew that there was was eternal life, there was forgiveness of my sin, and there was a Jesus that loved me waiting for me right there. And I couldn't wait for that invitation to come. And so it was that realization to me at nine that there is a heaven to gain, there is an eternal separation from God in hell for those who don't know him and so oftentimes we talk of the comfort of God and the comfort of God is so powerful for families at the point at, at, during death but we need and we need to understand that that is for that's our hope Remember remember, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 says, For we sorrow not as those with no hope. If you die without the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, if you die before you make a commitment to serve him, you will spend eternity separated from him. That's the word of God. And you need to know this. It's not God's will that anyone... Go to hell. God didn't create hell for all the bad people to go to. God loved us so much, he gave his son Jesus to die so all the bad people could receive the righteousness of Christ and be saved. That's his desire. That's his will for every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. But we need to receive him. We need to trust him. We need to accept him. Now, there's a comfort. There was tremendous comfort for those who mourn at the loss of a loved one when they've been saved, there's that promise. But I believe, looking at verse four, that there's a, there's another part of this uh, that's that's connected. Builds upon verse three and that poor in spirit, poor in spirit. You see, poor when we're poor in spirit, it's that it's that it's that realization of our lostness. That again, that we need a savior. And I'm convinced that uh, when there's a realization of that and a need of a Savior, that it causes me to cry out, Woe is me, I'm undone, scripture says. Woe is me, I'm undone. Now, at nine years old, I didn't go home and smite my breasts and say, Woe is me, I'm undone. I didn't know that. All I knew was, Jesus, if you'll let me live to the morrow night, I'm going to get saved. I don't want to die and go to hell. And that was a mourning, that was a grieving in my spirit because I had seen my lostness I had seen my desperate plight that I was in nine years old without Jesus and trust me if I had died before I accepted the Lord I believe scripture teaches I would have been in hell you can look and say well God love you you were just a kid surely God's going to God's not going to hold those things I had lied I'm not going to tell you everything I can done forget it (laughs) Ain't no way. It's under the blood. You don't have any business worrying about it, okay? But I just, you know, I, I, I knew enough to know that. But I believe there's, this, this, there's a part of this, of this mourning for our sinfulness, if I can say it this way, that helps prepare our hearts to repent and accept Him. There, there's a verse in, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. And, and I've, asked, I've asked Craig to put it up there from the, in, in the New Living just simply because to me it just made it so clear. And I want, you to, I want you to be sure we get this. It says, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience. Now, you mean God wants us to sorrow? God wants us to mourn. Listen, mourning, sorrowing, grieving, they're all a part of life, folks. It's a part of life. Whether you're saved, whether you're lost, it's a part of life. But there is a sorrow, look at this, but there is a mourning part that God wants us to realize, when the realization of our need. He says, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin, look at this, and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. There is a, there is, a, we could talk about, we could talk about the difference between legitimate mourning and, and, and legitimate mourning. Whole, whole, we could talk about that. We could talk about, remember when David, when, David, when Absalom got killed, remember that? And, and David, the report comes back, and David just, you know, he says, oh, Absalom, Absalom, would to God that I died instead of you. And, and, and David just, he, he just, he's just really in the depths of all this. And remember what happened? Who was his general? Uh, was it Joab? Was it Joab? Joab. Basically, Joab goes up into the king's inner quarters, you know, and he pulls a, a Gibbs slap on, on King David. Now, I know he wouldn't slap the king, but on the back of the head. But it's basically, wake up, David. If you continue to be like this, you're going to lose your whole kingdom. Absalom rebelled against you. Absalom, Absalom sinned against you. Look at all that he's done. God has vindicated you. You better get with the program. There's a part of grieving and suffering and mourning. Sometimes that just simply is consumed in self-pity. I don't, be, don't I want to be ugly here. Or self-sorrow. And there is a kind of, of worldly sorrow which lacks repentance. But it's sorry I was caught. It's sorry that I've been found out. It's sorry of the consequences which now I'm experiencing. But there's no repentance. There's no mourning of their heart. There's no looking up and crying out, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And that does not result. That results in spiritual death. And it will doom your soul to hell. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. <laughs> I want to just, I wanna, there's a parallel, kind of a parallel passage in Luke chapter 6. <clears throat> G, uh, of, this, of some of these beatitudes, okay? And, uh, and, and I love the way Luke 6, 20 and 21 says this. It says, uh, and this is Luke's account. It says, and, and Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. I why don't know why we get the food about this time every every Sunday I don't know That she shall be filled. And now look at this. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Now I just I'll just tell you. As a nine-year-old boy, let me tell you the rest of the story. That Saturday night. Okay? Some people, again, I've I've heard especially since then, but over the years, since 1959. I've heard people talk about when they accepted Jesus as their Savior. Okay? That it was like a it was like a weight lifted off. I can understand that. It's, a, it's the weight of those sins, it's the weight of guilt. Now talk about the guilt gone, they're free. Okay? We're talking about this this comfort that comes when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's a comfort of forgiveness. It's a comfort of peace. It's a comfort of, 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 of the blood of Jesus Christ creating us and making us a new person. Okay? Uh, but I didn't. I couldn't verbal. I didn't. I didn't verbalize all those things. I remember that night, and I remember. I remember laughing. I remember laughing. Laughter's been a big part of my life. Uh, that when I, I didn't realize that, but when I got saved that night, I remember laughing because I felt so good. I don't know if it's the fact that I realized God had spared me and I didn't die and go to hell, and now I was saved. Probably that had a big part to do with it because I knew that. I knew that now Jesus was my Savior. Oh, there have been times since then. You know, there was times when Satan wooed me over with doubt. There was times when he, you know, when, he, when I dealt, had to deal with all those issues there. Sure. But laughter's had a big part of my life. The first time I ever met Barbie, she laughed in my face. <laughs> and I just want to tell you, that turned out pretty, dead, Jim, good. <laughs> now, she still laughs at me a lot. But laughter... But but Jesus, Luke's saying that when you weep, and especially when we're weeping for for our sinfulness, that Jesus Christ is ready to turn that weeping into laughter, into freedom, into joy. Do you know Him? Have you mourned? Has, have you as a poor in spirit? Have you realized your need of a Savior? If you so, if so, then you'll understand this comfort that comes from knowing him. If you've not, and some in first service, precious, precious lady, sister this morning, she's a sister now. She came to first service, she was a friend. She left first service, she's a sister. You know why? Because she realized that most of her life she'd been religious and she'd never asked Jesus to come into her heart. And she said, now I need to do that. I need to do that. If that's you before you leave, I'm just gonna tell you, there's comfort to be had for the morning. In Christ let's pray. Father, how we how we love you, how awesome you are, how, how un, unexplainable, inexhaustible, immeasurable. Oh, we can just keep on. Lord, you're beyond description. Your love, your grace, your mercy, your truth, your comfort, your comfort. Father, as we, as we rejoice in who you are and all you do and that which you just let us understand a little bit of is my prayer this morning. Lord, that there's anyone here this service that's never accepted you as their savior, that this morning they would do that. Right, right where you sit, you don't, have to, you don't have to get up, you don't have to come forward unless the Lord says to you, for you to, but right where you sit, and I didn't understand that that night, Boy, if I'd understood that on Friday night, maybe I I wouldn't have had to to go home. But boy, maybe it was just the fact that the Holy Spirit could continue letting me know at nine years old how desperately I need a Savior. And I did. And he did. And we did. And boy, it's been a journey since then. If that's you, and this morning you realize, I need to do that. I need to do that. I need to ask him to come into my life. Save me. Right where you said realization of your sinfulness that jesus christ died on the cross for your sins for my sins for the sins of the world he could do that because he's he's a sinless sacrifice the sinless lamb of god so he could die to atone for all the sins of the world he didn't die for his sins he died for mine and he died for yours realizing that and realizing that you don't there's nothing you can do Oh, you can't be bad enough. Hell was not prepared for people who were bad. and Heaven was not prepared for people who are good. Because all our goodness is as bad as the worst badness. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. This, this morning, maybe you would want to cry out right where you are. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. Save me. Save me, please. I'm trusting you to come into my heart. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to rejoice with you. But if you pray that prayer as a thank you to the Lord, would you just raise your hand and say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. And just put it right back down. Thank you, Lord, for coming into my heart. Thank you. See those hands? Other hands. Just thank you, Lord. Lord, we rejoice in who you are. Now, may the God of all comfort, that's what you're called in one place in Scripture, may the God of all comfort, comfort our hearts and lives through Jesus Christ. And especially, Father, these today that have come to faith in you to put everything in their faith in who you are and all you've done, be really especially real to them this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.